Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We started a brand new series last week, and uh, this is special for me because all the campuses together are doing this same series. Us as pastors have an opportunity to get together, talk through it, figure out where we're going, to add a little bit um, along the way. And uh, more specifically, you know, we've labeled it kingdom culture, but more specifically what we're talking about is a biblical worldview. It's a biblical worldview. Worldview is just how you see the world. And we talked last week, it's almost like a color, like a set of colored lenses. That if you're not careful, you could, you could look through these lenses and it shades the way you see everything and not even realize that what you're looking at isn't the way God sees it. It's just the way that you've seen it. And many of us don't realize that because of the lenses through which we look, we've, we've made a gumbo of our worldview we talked about last week. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of biblical truth put in there, uh, a little bit of what well, mama always said, let's, let's put some of that in there, um, popular opinion, let's, let's add some of that into our worldview as well. How about a little bit of, well, here's what I think. You know, we're talking about, well, here's what I think, right? What they're doing. It's a worldview, or how about, this one's hard, what society suspects of me, expects of me, what society expects of me. And we've, our worldview is like a mixture, a gumbo of all of those things. And we talked about just because we say that we're a Christian doesn't mean that we have a biblical worldview, does it? No, not not at all. Just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you have a biblical worldview. In fact, the only way to have a biblical worldview is to fully and completely trust, follow, and adhere to the word view, the word view, that we find in scripture. And only when we fully understand what God's word says will we truly see clearly the way that God sees the world. Y'all with me so far? Last week I had an opportunity to visit with a couple and they were struggling. Um, they, they, they were struggling in, in, in their relationship with church in general. They're brand new to a church like ours. And, and like many of you, they grew up in a church that was completely different and there was just a struggle between the way their church was and the way our church is, and they were trying to reconcile. And, and so they, can you help me? Can you help me reconcile between the two? And I asked, I said, well, before we go there, let me ask you a question. Did, at the church you were at, did anybody encourage you to read the Bible for yourself? To open it up and read for yourself? And I said, well, honestly, Pastor Don, no, they, they didn't. There was, they just told us what to do or what to believe or how God says it. So, well, well, time out. I don't want to be just another guy in your life telling you what God says when he's given us a book that we get to open and read on a regular basis. Let's start there as you're trying to reconcile between everything. And I just say, let's read the Bible and we'll see what happens. And I think that's what happens to us when we start opening this book, reading it, seeing it, seeing the way God sees things, it changes us. Let me help you. It should change you. If, if you open this book and you read it and you start doing it and it doesn't change you, I don't know that you're reading it or you're doing it, but I promise if you do both of those, God will change you. So that's what we're doing. In this series, we're gonna take four scenes from scripture and we're going to use them as a template 
to talk about kingdom culture and a biblical worldview. Those four scenes are creation, the fall, redemption, and the new creation, right? We're, last week was creation. This week, we're going to talk about the fall. Y'all ready to dig into some biblical worldview, some kingdom culture today? Yes, curl your toes up under the pew so I don't step on them. Here we go. You say, okay, Pastor, I get it. Biblical culture, worldview, but what does that have to do with tongue twisters? Like, y'all should know me well enough at this point. Nothing is just accidental. What, what is it about a tongue twister? I'm telling you, we're about to see how the twisting of a spoken word is about to unravel all of humanity. The twisting of a spoken word is going to unravel all of humanity. A little bit of review for you. Genesis chapter 1. Look at these verses here. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the, the land from the waters. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Do you see the pattern there at creation? What's the pattern? What is it? God said creation was void without form. It was chaos. Chaos became order, but how? And you may say, well, well, Pastor John, because God spoke, right? That's part of it. But God spoke and creation obeyed. God spoke, creation obeyed. Chaos became order. That's the pattern of scene one, creation. Everything was very good. It was very good. God speaks, creation obeys. Everything is very good. Good. Question for you. Did it stay that way? Is there anything that we can learn from Scripture about our world today that will allow us to see things the way God sees things? How things went from being very good to not so good. Intro scene to the fall. Buckle up. Let's look what God says next. Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 17. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded, big word there in the Hebrew, commanded, not like God said, it's no, commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Kingdom culture moment for you here right off the bat. How many trees is Adam given permission to eat from? All of them except for one. So you start looking side by side here of all the trees that he can eat from and all the trees that he can't eat from, which one is bigger? Yeah, is God generous or is he restrictive? 
all of this you can eat from, this you can't. And yet our world, our society today is trying to tell you and convince you otherwise that being a Christian will restrict you unnecessarily. It's an assault on who God is. Our God is a generous God, not a restrictive God. Hold that thought. We're coming back to it. Up to this point, how many voices does Adam hear? One. Up to this point, how many commandments has he been given? Let's look what happens when another voice. Can you say that with me? Another voice. Let's look what happens when another voice enters the picture. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent is crafty. And here's the thing. Does he target Adam? Who's he come after? Now, there's a whole other sermon just in that one thought right there. That the enemy himself from the beginning is trying to undo the order of creation that God put into place. God first created Adam, spoke to Adam, commanded Adam. And the enemy wants to come and go the other direction and try to usurp the order that God put in the middle of that. We'll leave that aside maybe for a future week. Satan's like, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Question, God didn't say that, did he? God didn't say that they could not eat of any tree. He said that they could eat of every tree but one. And here's the first step to the craftiness of Satan in your life. And we see it here. Look at this. Satan challenges their worldview by twisting God's word. He challenges the way they see things by twisting the things that God has already spoken. Notice, he is not trying to refute the existence of God. He's just trying to change her perspective of him. He's calling into question the goodness of God. Nobody who believes that God doesn't exist didn't start with wondering if God was good or not. You don't just jump in, well, God doesn't exist. It starts with a subtle twist. And, well, maybe he's, he's holding something out. Maybe, maybe he's not good. Why, why would a good God let bad things happen to the world? Well, bad things are happening, so therefore there must not be a God. You see the, the slip that's happening in the middle of this. If you don't know that God is good, then his commands will feel like restrictions when in reality they're protections. When my children first learned to ride their bicycles, we would tell them, you can go from here to here, from our driveway to the neighbor's driveway. I didn't say, go ahead, all of Acadiana is open to you. All right? Was I trying to be restrictive of them? No, I was trying to be protective of them. I went and, and, and ran yesterday morning and decided to bring Avery along with me. He rides his bicycle. I run. And, uh, and as we were leaving, I noticed he didn't have his helmet on. And so I said, all right, buddy, listen, I'm going to run around the street for just a minute. You go get your helmet. Come back. Enjoy. Was I trying to be restrictive of him? I mean, it feels great riding down the road, wind blowing through your hair. I wouldn't know. It feels good on bald skin. I wasn't trying to restrict him by making him wear his helmet. What was I trying to do? I was trying to protect him. Here's another example. Did God really say that you can't have sex? Yeah, he's holding out on you. You're being restricted. Sex is, is amazing. But what God actually says is the totality of Scripture is that we can have sex, but it must be in the context of marriage. Sex only in marriage isn't restrictive. It's protective. 
It's protecting. Well, what do you mean, Pastor John? Well, it's protecting you from all kinds of things. Instead of saying, instead of asking, what is he keeping from me? Ask, what is he keeping me from? He's keeping me from disease. He's keeping me from insecurity. He's keeping me from brokenness. He's keeping me from abuse. He's keeping me from unwanted pregnancy. It's not restrictive. It's protective. God wasn't trying to restrict Adam and Eve in the garden. He's a generous God. He was just simply trying to protect them. Here's what happens next. Genesis 3, 2 through 4. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, that's not exactly what God said, was it? No, there's, there's something, there's some missing words in there. There's some added words in there. Talking this week with Pastor Jacob specifically about this, here's, here's what he said. He said, maybe Eve added to and subtracted from the words of God because she didn't know the word of God. That's good. That's good. Maybe that happens in our own life that, that we add to and subtract from the words of God because we ourselves don't know the word of God. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the problem. Eve was powerless to defend herself against the lies and the distortion of the enemy. Why? Because she didn't know God's word. She didn't know God's word, so the enemy was able to come and twist twist just a little bit and as a result it caused her to not see things this way through God's word it caused her to see things through the enemy's distortions and his lies interesting note if you open your new testament and read Jesus as he's right before he begins his earthly ministries he's being tempted in the wilderness do you know how Jesus deals with the enemy's deceptions and his lies when Satan comes to him and tries to convince him what does he say it is written And go back and see, it's almost verbatim, word for word, what God said in the middle. Jesus comes and says, no, 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 I'm not listening to that voice because I know this voice. It is written in my life. When you don't know God's word, let me say it this way. When Satan realizes after three times to tempt Jesus, and Jesus replies, it is written, it is written. You know what scripture says Satan does? He goes away for a more opportune time. He leaves. He goes for more opportune time. I got newsflash for you, church. If you don't know God's word, every time is an opportune time for the enemy to come and distort and twist and, and, and mess you up in the middle of this. And because Eve did not know what God said, instead of having one voice, there's now two competing voices in her life. No wonder this world is in chaos. Two competing voices, and we don't even know which ones to listen to. What are the competing voices in your life? What are the voices that that are distorting your worldview and keeping you from seeing things the way God sees them? Some of us spend more time reading and listening to Fox News and CNN than we do reading and listening to God's word. What happens then? We wonder why we have competing voices. We wonder why we have this gumbo of beliefs and mindsets and worldviews and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You've got to eliminate some of the voices in your life and make sure that the loudest voice is this one. 
Why can't it not be the first thing you read in the morning? Why can you not discipline yourself that when the alarm clock goes off, the first thing you do is open up that Bible app instead of that Instagram feed? As if you miss something in the last eight hours, it's just so detrimental to life. Let this word be the first voice. Here's what we see. The serpent twisted Eve's worldview by twisting her word view, more specifically the way she viewed God. So here's my question to you. What happens to a person that is left exposed to Satan's distortions of God's word? What happens to a person that does not have a biblical world view? What happens? Let's look. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. After they disobeyed, they started to see the world in a very different way, did they not? Very different way. Scripture tells us now that they, they knew they were naked. Culture moment for you, just a second. Let's, let's think about this as we unpack. Let's not move too far ahead. Their disobedience didn't introduce nakedness into the world. What did it introduce? It didn't introduce nakedness. Remember what we read in the creation story? Look, look how previ- our previous chapter, Genesis 20, uh, 2, verse 22, says this. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Look at this. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. They were already naked, but they weren't ashamed of it. So when sin came, after their disobedience, after the fall, they were still naked. Only now they were what? They were ashamed of it. They were ashamed of it. Look what happens. Look what shame does when it enters into the picture. Y'all seeing how this is happening? Verse 7, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves. That's shame. It causes you to hide. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Can I tell you? Sin is messy. It's messy. It's absolutely messy. God's perfect environment was now tainted. God's perfect creation was now hiding, covering, and look at this. They're about to be making some excuses as well. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Men, pay attention. This is Adam's response, his big moment. Then the man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Wasn't me, God, it was this woman. The woman you gave me, right? So he's not just blaming her, he's blaming God. God, listen, I know, I was hiding because I'm naked and yes, I ate. Doesn't even say that, does he? He said, no, the woman you gave me 
is the reason. It's, it's her fault, not mine. Let me put it in 2022 language for you. You ready? I'm the victim here. I'm the victim. If that hadn't happened to me, then I wouldn't have done the things that I did. If, I, if, if that wasn't where I was at that point in time, then that wouldn't have... How was I supposed to know? I'm the victim here. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about the consequence of Adam's sin. Because you know the story. Their sin separated them from God. It got them expelled from the garden, the very place that represented God's presence in their lives. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Sin came into the world through one man, Adam, which means God holds him responsible for that. But it wasn't just sin that came into the world. What came in a close second? Death. Disobedience brought sin. Sin brought death. Death came through sin. So now every person is dead spiritually, and every person will now die physically. You wake up in the morning, and things are stiff, and you can't move, and you're getting old. Don't blame me. Don't blame God. Blame Adam. It's his fault, right? In the middle of this, sin is messy and it affects everyone and every little thing. Here's what I need you to know. As a result of disobedience to God's word, sin entered humanity. Humanity is sinful and fallen because of Adam. Sin is not just something we do. It is, we are born sinful by nature. How many of you had to teach your kids to grab a toy from somebody else and say, mine? Anybody? No. What is that? It's selfishness. And it is there. Sometimes Kayla and I have to remind ourselves, dealing with our, with, with our younger children, like, listen, they're, they're not born again. You're like, why would they do that? Because they're unregenerate. They don't know. God hasn't brought their spirits to life yet. They sin because they're sinners. R.C. Sproul has said it this way. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Big difference. It's a nature thing. Because of what happened in the garden, sin now permeates through all of humanity. And you are born alive, spiritually dead. Unable to to recognize God at work in your life, unable to recognize the things that he's doing, unable to see things the way God would have you see it. Our desires, they're darkened because of sin. Why do you want the things that you want that are different from what God would have for you? Because of sin in your life. Your heart is deceitful because of sin. Our relationships get out of order because of sin. Our bodies will die because of of sin, and we are separated from our Creator because of sin. Today, September 11th, 11 years from the most tragic act of terrorism that ever plagued the United States, and, and though we remember those who are fallen and those who, who, who helped rescue all of those who did survive, let me just help you. We call it terrorism, God calls it sin. 
And that sin, that nature, that sinful nature is a part of everything we see around us today. The moral decay of our culture is a result of disobedience to God's word. You see that? I asked you, what happens to a person that is susceptible to the lies and the distortions of the enemy? Sin. That's what happens. And it's messy and it'll mess everything up. How you see it is how you will do it. If you don't have a biblical worldview, you will not walk in kingdom culture. You ask him, man, why would he do something like that? Because he sees that way. And if we don't take the time to know God's word, we're not going to be able to see anything. It got real quiet in here. Y'all still with me? A little bit? I want to show you one more thing um, today in the story that I believe will bear relevance to each of our lives today. Um, There's a pattern to sin. You may not have taken the time to think about it. It may not come, come to you right away, but there's a pattern to sin that we're introduced to, a glimpse into our own fallen nature. Let's read some of those verses again. And here's what I want you to do. As I put these words up, I want you to say the underlined words with me. You ready? So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. There's your pattern. Let me simplify it for you. Here's the pattern. They saw, they took, they ate, they knew, and they hid. Take yourself out of the creation story for just a second and think about your own self and the last time you did that thing that you told God you would never do again. A sin in your life. It's a pattern. Pastor Don, I didn't eat anything. Okay, let me help you. Let's change the words. You've seen the same pattern in your own life. There was an opportunity, then a desire, some sort of action, then what happened? You felt guilty about it, and then what happened? Then shame. That's what happens. That's the pattern. It's a messy, slippery slope. Opportunity, desire, action, guilt, shame. Let me ask you a question, church. Where are you today in this pattern? Are you at Saul? Are you, are you, is there an opportunity that you're open to? A place that you're going or an unhealthy relationship that you're entertaining? Is that where you are in the middle of this slippery slope? You're spending too much time with that person? Maybe you're at desire. Maybe you've noticed that your affections have changed and and you want that. Even when you know it isn't right. Maybe you're not at opportunity. Maybe you're not at desire. Maybe you're at take. Maybe you're at that action. Maybe, maybe you went there. You did that. You clicked there. Maybe you're doing that right now. Maybe you're at new. 
Maybe you're experiencing the guilt of sin and are wondering if there's a way to get clean again. Maybe you're hiding it. You feel bad about it, but the shame and the fear of others finding out is too much to bear. And as a result, you feel separated from God, no no longer walking with him in the garden. That relationship you had with him before that pattern, you're not as close as you used to be. Listen, I don't want to give away the entire series just on week two, but there's another part to this pattern. There's another thing that happens after this, and we see it in this story, and it's this. God comes looking. How many of you are grateful God came looking? God God comes looking. And here's how he did it. Here's how God comes looking. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? Where are you? I think he's asking us that same question today. Where are you? How's your soul? I'm going to invite everybody to bow your heads. Close your eyes. Don't look around. Just listen to my voice. And just as sure as you hear the words come out of my mouth into your ears, I want you to hear the very word of God coming out of his mouth and into your heart Where are you? Where are you? How you answer that question will make all the difference in whether or not things can change in your life. Can I tell you, you're not too far gone. There's still time. God is looking, but you have to answer the question, where are you? If you're an opportunity, let God's word help you see the things from his perspective. Stop putting yourself in a place where you're listening to competing voices. If you're at desire, stop lying to yourself that just because you haven't acted on it yet that you're okay. You're on a slippery slope. You're already believing a lie. And if you're at action, stop. Repent. Turn. Start moving in the completely opposite direction. I'm not saying do it less. I'm saying do it not at all. And if you're at guilt, and you know that what you did was wrong, and you're convicted, I want you to lift your head and your eyes up to God because he is looking for you. He is looking for you. Where are you? Maybe you're at a place where the shame is so heavy that it's paralyzed you. I want to tell you, come clean. Confess. Share. Be open. Stop hiding. God already knows, and he still sent his son Jesus. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Romans 5 also says this, But God showed us his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter where you are, how far along you've gone, what part of the slope you've slid into. While you 
were sinning, God still sent Jesus. And all you have to do to receive what Jesus has done for you is three simple things. I say it every week. A, B, C. A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that your sin has separated you from a loving and holy God. B, believe. Believe that God sent his son Jesus who lived a sinless life to pay a debt you and I could not pay. To live a life that you and I could not live. And not only did he send them for the sinner next to you, he sent them just for you. Believe. And then C, confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. The Savior part's easy when you're in a place like that. But it's the Lord part that makes all the difference. Can you confess him as Lord and Savior? That his way is better. That you've been trying it on your own, and this is where it's gotten you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Don, I can admit that. I believe that. And I'm ready to confess him as Lord and Savior. I've never been born again. I know that only happens once. But if you'll leave me today, Pastor Don, I'm ready to be born again. From right where you're at, I'm going to ask you, nobody getting up, nobody looking around. I'm not going to pull you up front or embarrass you in any way. But I want to ask you to raise your hand. Church, let's be praying for the people around us right now. Where are you? If you hear you say, Pastor Don, God's doing a work in my heart. And I'm ready to be born again. I'm ready to acknowledge the work that he's already started in my life to allow me to see the things that I'm seeing today. Will you please pray with me? If that's you, I want to ask you to raise your hand right now so I can know who I'm praying with. Let me see him. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. I see your hand. Up in the balcony. Yes, I see your hand. see your hand. Thank you. If your hand is raised, you may put it down one more time. Before I pray for these others, say, Pastor Don, I didn't raise my hand, but I know I should have. The shame's heavy, but I'm ready. I don't want to miss this moment, Pastor Don. Before I pray, raise your hand right now so I can know who I'm praying with. church. Those of you that raised your hands, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody else around you is going to pray the same prayer out loud and dig it with the fact that nobody goes through Christianity alone. Say this with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt and you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no matter what it costs me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.